podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibson. Welcome once again to Off The Wall, the podcast on Anfield Index. We like to give you a little taste of some of the content that's available over on the paywall side of the channel at Anfield Index Pro. Now, in recent episodes here on Off The Wall, we brought you two-part interviews with uh, with Liverpool legends. And Trev Downey has put the questions to Jan Mulby, Paul Walsh, Mark Lawrenson, John Aldridge, John Walk, and David Fairclough. And we've been delighted to uh, release those two-part episodes during this uh, coronavirus lockdown. We are trying to keep the content coming as best we can. Obviously, tricky with no matches to speak about, but... Uh, Fortunately, we have been joined by these uh, these legends of Liverpool's past glories, and it seems a great opportunity to share some of this long-form uh, audio content with you. Over on the paywall side, uh, we've also had some legends on uh, since lockdown, and there are some fascinating two-part interviews you can go and listen to. Uh, the likes of Steve McMahon, Jason McAteer, and Phil Thompson telling their stories as well. Also over on the paywall side, in the past few days, we've released a, a few cracking shows that are well worth your time. There's uh, there's Under Pressure, our flagship stats and analysis show, where the guys have been discussing Liverpool's MVP, uh, most valuable player. And we're into part two of that now. And this time the guys got to discuss their favourite players, uh, Dan Rhodes on Allison, uh, Dan Kennett on Virgil van Dijk, and uh, of course Simon Brundish on Mohamed Salah. So, so do go and have a listen to that as the guys uh, state their case. Uh, a brilliant debate. I, I really have enjoyed those uh, those under pressure shows on uh, on the MVP. There's AI scouted. Uh, Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett are back, and this time they're they're spreading their net. They're going slightly out of the Liverpool sphere, and they're uh, talking about the worst transfer window ever. Uh, so uh, they've had to really uh, dig deep on that one. But Arsenal, AC Milan, Roma and Sunderland are all vying for this golden Razzie-style honour. So, so do go and have a listen to that a tinge of humour in that one as well. And uh, some of the stories are quite remarkable. There's also Scouser Tommy's. Mike Nevin is back after a short sabbatical. He's alongside Jim Boardman talking about all things in to do with coronavirus and, of course, football and Liverpool Football Club from within the city. Uh, those guys are down in Liverpool and uh, and, and discussing uh, discussing all things uh, related to how the club is dealing with uh, coronavirus. Obviously, talk about the furlough of players and how they're trying to produce content during these times when there is uh, there is no matches to talk about. There's also Retro Reds. Uh, that's Mike Nevin's new history show. And he was joined uh, for a two-parter with Jan Mulby to look back at the Great Danes' debut season at Anfield in 1984-85. A, a trophy-less season uh, for Liverpool. They still progressed in Europe and obviously ended in that uh, high school stadium disaster. So uh, so there's some talk on that. So uh, so for a bit of reminiscence on uh, on that rather sad uh, time, go and have a listen to, to Retro Reds. And uh, part two of that will be out very soon as well. So where can you enjoy all this fantastic content from AI Pro? Well, the best way to do so is to sign up to the free trial and you can get it absolutely free for 30 days now instead of the usual seven. To sign up, all you have to do is head to AnfieldIndexPro.com. As I always say, there is no obligation to continue after the 30-day trial and you can cancel at any point within the trial. You will not be charged a penny if you decide to stick around. And of course, we hope you will then. It's literally the price of a good cup of coffee. It's only £3.49 per month or £39.99 per year. So some great value there. So what we're going to give you on today's Off The Wall, we're going to carry on with the theme of Liverpool legends. Uh, and I'm going to give you part one of the Ronnie Reeland story. Trev speaks to Ronnie about his early days as a serial trialist, the influence of his father, the move to Bob Paisley's Liverpool, and those initial Merseyside days of digs and loneliness. Ronnie talks about his very sudden and permanent move into the first team alongside the likes of Sir Kenny Dalglish, Graham Souness, and winning that league title in the first attempt, and also scoring twice in the League Cup final victory that season. 
The chat then continues as Trevas running to document those remarkably successful early seasons up until the double winning campaign of 1985-86, which includes, of course, the uh, European Cup win in Rome in 1984. Obviously, we'll have part two of this out on the wall very soon, and Ronnie will talk about the period from uh, from the double winning season onwards, uh, and obviously the the era where Kenny changed the team somewhat with uh, Aldridge, Barnes and Beardsley, so all that to look forward to in part two. Now we'd love your feedback on any of the shows that we do on Anfield Index or Anfield Index Pro, and I would say the best way to do that is uh, on our free Discord community. It's uh, a really good place to go and debate modern-day uh, Liverpool and to talk about these shows and uh, chat with fellow Reds all around the world. It's uh, anfieldindex.com forward slash discord, which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. That's a place to uh, to join that free community. We are, of course, on the traditional socials as well. We're on Facebook. Just search for Anfield Index. Or you can find us on Twitter. Two handles there are at Anfield Index or at Anfield Index Pro. And as we always say, your feedback means so much. We're so grateful that people listen to these shows and enjoy them uh, we just hope you enjoy them as much as we enjoy making them. It really is good fun, especially when we get to speak to some of the legends from the from the club's glittering past. So here we go. The Ronnie Whelan story in the company of Trev Downey for the interview part one. Hello and welcome to another two-part edition of the interview with Trev Downey, your monthly opportunity as a subscriber to AI Pro to hear from a genuine legend of Liverpool Football Club. Now, you know who I am, folks. It's time to introduce the person who really matters in this conversation. My guest today is a fellow Irishman who came from a footballing family and made his debut for Home Farm at just 16. Signed for Liverpool in 1979 by Bob Paisley, was still days shy of his 18th birthday. He would go on to win a European Cup, six league titles, two FA Cups and three League Cups in his remarkable decade and a half at Anfield. He was a footballer of outlandish talent who was uncannily consistent over his stint in Liverpool's midfield, where he appeared some 493 times, scoring 73 goals in the process. Like a previous pair of guests, this man was also a member of the Ireland side under Jack Charlton that captivated a nation and won hearts and minds worldwide with their European Championship and World Cup exploits. I'm speaking, as you will have deduced a while ago, about the legend that is Ronnie Whelan. Ronnie, it's a genuine honour to chat to you. Thanks, Trevor. Great to be on. Your career, Ronnie, for <laughs> it's basically all of my Liverpool happiest days. Uh, and I, I, it's unlike unlike some of the other guests we've had. I mean, I just feel like going through it minute by minute. I hope you don't mind if we really sort of milk all the, all the various incidents because it's quite a long time. There's a lot of years and so many different incidents. If it's okay, like if you're not too tired of doing it, it'd be lovely to walk through quite a lot of those with you. It can be great, Trevor. I haven't done it for a while. So this, this is a good one, this one. Yeah, well, I, I will openly admit to being starstruck in a way that I haven't with any of the others because, you know, for 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 an Irish fella, this is uh, quite the big deal. You're present in basically all the best footballing moments that I ever had uh, watching watching the game, man. So 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 God bless you for doing it. It's it's wonderful. Uh, look, let's let's start where we always start with with, with all of these uh, with all of these episodes that we've done, which is right back at your earliest days. And as I said, kind of in the intro, you were born into a family of footballers, really, basically from Dublin. Uh, I think. 
many of us in this country can relate to that type of household. But you know, I think it, your 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 dad was 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 an Irish international, uh, played with St Pat's, and your brother Paul, I think, played with Bowes. And um, talk to me about what must have been a fairly football mad, football dominated kind of a childhood. And when was it that it became apparent to you that you you could probably do this crack for a living? I know with some of the other chaps, it it, it was a little bit later, but I know you were you were sort of catching the eye of a lot of big clubs from very early on. Yeah, as you say, brought up with me dad, basically going to games with him. I didn't see his patch days when it, when they were very, very successful in the early 60s. But coming to mid-60s, was playing with Drogheda himself then. I went to see him play in a cup final for Drogheda when I was like seven or eight years of age. But I was always going to the games with my brother. As you say, my brother played for Bowles. Um, my brother captained Bowles to an FAI Cup winner's as well. So the, the football was always in the family, but it was going to watch me dad, me and Paul on the back of the bus. I, I was just lapping it all up. I, from as far back as I can remember, Trevor wanted to be a footballer. And I think both my man and dad knew that that was what I wanted. I wanted to get away. I was starting to go away on trials when I was 12, 13 to United and Coventry and things like that. But it was an early stage. I said to them, I, I, I want to go away. I, I, my only ambition is to play football in England. But I had a great mentor in my dad. He, he didn't push me. He didn't shove me out the back garden and say, kick the ball against the wall. Um, I'd get the ball myself and go out. And he'd, he'd, he would put little things to me, go and try and keep it up 20 times on your right foot. And when I eventually did, I'd go back in. I'd say, I've done it. Well, go keep it 20 up times on your left foot. So all these little things, and I was learning as I went along. I was learning what was going on in dressing rooms because I was in the dressing room when he was sitting there. So it was really, really Football was in my blood from a very, very early age. That that's that's particularly interesting because, as you say, you're exposed to all the kind of things that possibly would freak out a fella when he's a little bit older and he's doing it. If he's only doing it for the first time, you're kind of getting gradually exposed to it. And it sounds like you were free to be a kid as well, which is nice. I mean, you're, you you kind of casually mentioned there that you're going over to professional clubs on the level of United and Coventry from the age of twelve or thirteen. I mean, does that did that involve travelling over the 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 old Irish story of doing a couple of weeks trial and coming back over the summer, or how did yeah. that work? That was it. Um, you go. Uh, first one I went to was Man United. Um, Joe Corker, an old Man United scout, he got me over, as I say, when I was 13, I think 12 maybe. Uh, did two weeks. But United kept um, asking me to come back. So I nearly, I was nearly every school holiday I was at Man United, except if I was on trial somewhere else like Coventry, Everton I was at, um, Celtic I did later on. Um, but it, it was, it was, it was just, it was going and seeing these places. You know, I don't see the training grounds from when I'm back in Finglas, um, but I see when I go over, I'm training next to Sammy McElroy and Stuart Pearson. I, it, it's a bit of sacrilege here, but Man United were my team as a kid growing up in Dublin. The George Best effect, Man United, Man United. Um, but going over there and seeing all the players and that, that got me more and more into wanting to get away to play football. And I assume as well, another massive sort of influence on you, another another United connection with John Giles between the Irishness and, and the Ireland national team and, and the fact that he once played with them and then probably, probably was at Leeds See, at Giles, the time. It was a bit, later, a bit earlier than that, because than, than, when I was going over, it was Jerry Daly. Okay. Um, and there was the Northern Ireland lads like Sammy McElroy, Dave McCreary. Um, these sort of players were playing for Man United at that time. So it was. It would, would have been more Jerry Daly than Johnny Giles that I would have been looking at. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, like you say, you say as well, traveling over and, and coming over from Finglas or whatever. But like you must have, again, again, it, it, things were, I suppose, not quite in the same silly level that they are now in terms of uh, the, the uh, you know, almost absurd levels of facilities that, that, that even young lads have. But it must have been sort of very exciting to be going from uh, a Dublin, a Dublin, uh, you know, a suburb to head off to these sort of exotic places and all these training grounds. And as you say, seeing these massive names of the game, did you find that it filled you with a little bit of sort of, you know, self-confidence that, you know, would help you later on? I wasn't a great one with self-confidence throughout my career, Trev, so that wouldn't, that wouldn't have come into it. All I'd be thinking about is, is, is training, doing well, getting a move to Man United or getting a move to Everton or, or wherever I, I could. Um, but it was as for a kid going to Manchester United and, you get fellas talking in the street then, like lads you don't even know. They, they'd hear about it in Fingless. Oh, this lad wheeling up in Abbottstown. He's, he's going over to Man United every school holiday. You become even at that age a little, a little bit of it, a talking point within the community. All that was nice. But, um, I still had to, um, my dad made me, Man United wanted me to sign apprentice at 15 and my dad made me stay at home. And I thought, this is, this is going to kill me. This, this will never happen for me. But he was away at Chelsea when he was 18. And he got so homesick, he came home. He only lasted two weeks. And he felt that 15 years of age was too young for me to go away. But I was lucky because I then got in home found first team at 16 years of age. So I was playing against men rather than boys, got, you know, for two years. But um, it was a big, it was a big um, disappointment when my dad said, I don't want you to go to Man United at 15. Whatever the level, Ronnie, when you're only 16 and you're throwing in against men, uh, you know, be it League of Ireland, League of Ireland reserves or, or wherever, even the top end, you're looking at a level of physicality at that stage um, that is quite shocking to people now. I don't think I spoke to David Fairclough about this. Mark Lawrence told me similar stories about his early days in training grounds. And basically, you know, you're talking about get being being on the receiving end of a pace. And even as a young fella, that, that doesn't happen now, you know. No, it does. You, you're you're far more protected as as a, as a gosson on a football pitch now than you would have been then. Yeah, but uh, people talk about uh, lads going away at 14, 15, 16 years of age. I'm not a great lover of them all going away at 15 years of age because I think they can be so homesick. I know sometimes they bring the parents with them now, but I, I do still think it's too young for lads to leave to leave home in Ireland, especially. Um, families is a big thing in Dublin or in Ireland, as you know, but. When you come away as a 15-year-old, even to play for Liverpool, Man United or whoever, you are playing against 15-year-olds. You're playing against 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds. I think that that was the lucky part for me that I didn't go away, but I did, as I said, play against men most weekends from 16 years of age. So to, I learned very early on about how to avoid tackles. And then if I was able to get a tackle in, I was, I was pretty, I was half decent at that as well. So, um, I learned a lot from the two years that I played in the first team at home from. Or was it the classic story, Ronnie, of uh, you as a, a young and, 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 and a young footballer, you know, with a, a left foot and lots of ability? Were you, were you just automatically put up front or up on the wing? Was that what, how it worked? Um, I, I played more of a number eight. When I was, a, when I was a, playing schoolboy football, I was more of a, a number eight, you know, just off the big centre forward. I played all around there or a number 10. It used to be number eight back then, but it was a number 10 now. That was the role I played and scored a few goals from there. Um, and when I went away to all the places I went, I, I would play that sort of position. 
except when I signed for Liverpool and then Bob Paisley decided that he wanted me to do something completely different and play left side midfield. And Trevor, I'll have to pull you up there. Oh, come on. I was naturally right-footed. I did use my left a fair bit, but I was naturally right-footed, but I was always comfortable on my left side. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely my, my little mistake there, based on the thing that you were just saying previously. I did, because... I said it to Jimmy Hill once as well on match today. I said Jimmy, he said he said that's something. My great shot was natural left foot, and I had to tell him as well that I'm naturally right foot. Yeah, but you know, you know what? It, you basically, what we what we stumbled across here is something that I spoke to a couple of people about as well, and even your little your little anecdote earlier on about you, your, yourself and your dad. It was so many people back then weren't almost as obviously predominantly one footed because they just used to work on their other foot. Peter Beardsley told us stories about how basically very few people could tell what foot Peter Beardsley was predominantly because he was equally strong with both. And I think, you know, your days in watching watching you in midfield, people would never say, oh, that guy's got, you know, keep him on this side and we'll be fine. There was there was no chance of that. You know, there was. I'm I'm, I'm hearing things uh, the other day actually talking about something like this. When they go to clubs now, the kids, if he's naturally right foot and he's good on his right foot, he's not so hot on his left foot, they will coach him more for his right foot, do the things he's good at rather than concentrate on the things he's bad at, concentrate more on the good things, which is, which is his right foot. He can still get along with his left foot, but let's concentrate on what he's really, really good at. It's different, different ways of doing things. Yeah, I can't say that makes a whole lot of sense to me, but yeah, it is, it is interesting. No, no, that's, that's not the way I was brought up. I was brought up with Dad, out, again, out the back garden, kicked it off the wall with my left foot for ages and ages and ages and just keep doing it till it sort of became fairly natural with me any time it was on my left foot. It must be a generational thing because I know I, as saying as that, like I remember, I remember trying to play almost an entire half season, uh, using mostly my left foot where I was playing in midfield because it was just something to do to try and improve yourself. It's it's a strange thing. I don't know. Can't I believe don't... you never made it in the game, Trevor. If honest to God, man. Honest to God. Ball. Honest to God, Ronnie. I was a loss. I was a loss to it. Uh, let, <laughs> let's let's chat about uh, sort of the culmination of your time in Ireland. Where I mean, it's 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 hardly it's 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 big time stuff. You know, you're. Rep- Representing a League of Ireland eleven, you're off in the Basque Country in the San Mames. You're scoring, and um, that must have been quite quite an exotic sort of a trip to be involved in at that stage as well. It was it was more of an eye opener, Trev. It oh was, yeah. Um, Why did you say that? It was, it was a young lad going away for a lot. Of, um, <laughs> some were a good bit older than me. Some were two or three years older than me. So I think I was 16, 17 at that time. So I was starting to see what else can happen. A football yeah. clubs when you get away on a little tour. <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to score against them that, that day as well. Um, it was a, a, yeah, as you say, a Basque region select or whatever it was. I get it so long ago now. But, um, yeah, there was, I learned a bit about um, football trips on that one. So basically, what you're, what, what you, that's basically a nice way of saying that a lot of lads were treating that as a, a, a full on jolly and it was about more at where they could escape to after the match or before. It was a second, the, 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 First League of Ireland select team had gone somewhere else. Right. And this was a sort of a second select team that went to the Basque country. So um, all amateurs um, and treated it as like an end of season amateur trip away. It was good fun. It was great. 
Uh, and soon after that, I mean, that's that's August seventy nine. You know, it's it's in nineteen seventy nine that Liverpool come in for you. And I'm I'm very interested in how you've been framing this because obviously, you know, you have your own sort of loyalties and 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 you would have had your preferences as as a, as a younger fella. Um, you had your you know your your dad his take on things, and it ends up that you do uh, sign for Bob Paisley in 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 September of seventy nine, not long after that trip. Um. And still shy of your 18th birthday, I've read. Um, you know, it, that's that's a massive deal, uh, or was it? Was, was it as exciting as it should have been for you? Because obviously, maybe your heart might have been elsewhere at the time. The thing was, I was on the verge of signing for Celtic um, when I got a message to go to Liverpool for a, a trial, and. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I went to Celtic for two weeks it was, and it was brilliant. Uh, but then Liverpool came in and my dad said, you know, you've got to start at the top. Liverpool were European champions in there. You know, there was all sorts of things, all pluses to go to Liverpool. It was only across the way. Um, there was all the pluses, top players there. But it was the one I said, Dad, what am I going here for? I'll never get a game at Liverpool. You know, why? He said, so you, you will learn off the best and you'll probably get better with, with all the training you'll do with all them. So I was delighted then. And once I got my head around it, it was like, that's me. This is what I've always wanted to do, play football in England. Now I'm going and let's see where I go from here. And the, the signing itself, uh, Ronnie, there are all sorts of different experiences that I've, 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 I've encountered with the various people I've spoken. I've been lucky enough to chat to an awful lot of ex-colleagues of yours. And I mean, you know, it varies um, in, in, in according to, I think, where people were. And I suppose that you were very much at the start of your career and probably uh, were uh, by for the future. So was it quite low key, the whole signing itself or, or, or the occasion of it? I think it was more high key in Ireland than Liverpool. It wouldn't have been anything. I don't think there was anything at all in Liverpool mentioned about it really in the in the papers or anything like that. A little bit later on, um, when I was starting to probably play in the reserves a bit more, Bob Paisley would give you a mention. Just got kids coming through, wheeling from Ireland, coming through, um, those sort of things. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge, big key event. But the the, the nearly the, for me the nearly the stumbling block was when I went to talk about contracts with my dad. And he was not my agent, but he'd come in to sit with me when Peter Robinson, the, the chief exec, and John Smith, the, the chairman. And I, I'm like sort of so nervous, it's unbelievable. And they put it on the table, three-year contract, um, 150 quid a week, um, so much for your digs, four flights home a year. And I'm going, where's the pen? Just, you know, quickly give me a pen, I'll sign this now. Mm. And my dad went, okay, that, that seems fairly reasonable, very nice. He said, well, we would also like 20,000 pound it was punts that time in ireland so twenty thousand english pounds would have been a bit more in your punts it might have been 25 30 000 punts whatever it was at the time and i've looked at my dad and then john smith and peter robinson looked at each other and they went we we can't do that and he said well i've looked into it and you, you it is you can do it it is um legal for a person giving up his amateur status to turn professional this is a payment to an endorsement for that so they said, okay, well, can you leave us and we'll, we'll, we'll see what we do. So I, I, I walked out of the room and I'm looking at my dad. I said, what have you done? <laughs> you must have been. <laughs> so you've messed this whole thing up for me. And, um, we were called back in and, uh, Mr. Robinson and J- Mr. John Smith went, okay, it, it can be done and that will be done. And it was just, um, 
it was just unbelievable that the way he said, I didn't know it, it there was a, a, a lad that was in home farm as well at the time called Noel Griffin who used to be um, a manager an underage manager and it was Noel Noel was a um, solicitor and he found out about it and he, he'd done something similar with Martin Murray when he left Dublin to go to Everton a few years previous so they he knew about it and then my dad put it to Liverpool and they accepted it but I thought that was going to be the end of the deal League of Ireland for the rest of my life yeah. <laughs> you gotta trust your old man. That's that's the. the well, he got, you, he got me through it. He got you through it, and and like I guess I mean you know there's there's an 18 month gap or so from when you when you arrived to 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 making your debut, and obviously Liverpool were 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 um, being canny and buying one for the future, and 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 I guess there's a lot of reserve football and kind of stuff like that. But this is the thing we were talking about. This is what your your dad was worried about. This initial period where you're away from home, um, and it's a big ask on a lot of guys and you know uh, far more than I do but I know quite a few myself of guys who just couldn't hack it just couldn't hack it especially if they weren't having the immediate let's just say inverted commas success of being in the first yes. team how did that 18 months pan out for you as a young man away from home what, what did it look like it looked like the worst thing I'd ever done in my life um, for six months I I was getting into the reserves I, I was tired all the time from training every day um, Probably in digs didn't help me. The loneliness, mainly Sunday when all the players would go home and you'd be left there on your own. Um, they'd all go to the families in and around Liverpool or, or further afield. They could get trains or whatever home. I couldn't get back to Dublin, so I sat in the room on my own every Sunday, um, just wanting to go home, just wanting to do it. I, and then I was, I was, the, the problem I had was that I was going home too often. I would go home and have great fun for the weekend with, with the family, and then I go off. Oh, I've got to go back now. I've got to go back training. I've got to go back playing with the A team or the U team or whatever. And then I came home once Saturday or Sunday. It's going to go back on the Monday morning. And my dad pulled me and he said, right, that's it. He said, go away now. He said, go back to Liverpool. He said, and do not come home. Do not step foot back here in Ireland for six months. He said, do not come back. So... As hard as it was, I went back to Liverpool and I got my head down. I started to get back into the reserves. I started to score more goals. I started to play better. I started to feel stronger. Um, and the, the, but the first six months nearly dummy, nearly dummy completely. But I, I stuck it out in the end. Again, my dad gave me some advice that that was good for me and I accepted it. It's hard staying away from the, the family and all your mates for six months, but I did it, and then that was it. Once once that was over, it was just can't say plain sailing, but I was I was happy then. Yeah, yeah, more, more hardball from Whelan Senior that worked out like as you say very very much to, in your favour in the end. Yeah, I mean, Trevor, it's not. I, I couldn't believe how lonely I was. Yeah, and I, and I look at kids now, and when they're talking about going away at fifteen, sixteen, and I think to myself, my God, a kid fifteen, sixteen, he's only grown up, he's a, he's a baby, and at least I was like 18 years of age. And there was a couple of Irish lads there as well. Can you, if the, the lads that went from Dundalk, Simon Bradish, uh, Brian Duff and Derek Carroll. So I had a little bit more luck as well because I could sit next to them in the dressing room. It wasn't like I went into a, a dressing room full of scousers, didn't know anybody. I knew more or less the, the three lads that were there already, the three Irish lads. So that, that helped me as well. But still, for the six months, the initial six months, it was very, very difficult. 
And people don't really understand either, Ronnie. I mean, that, you know, some of the, 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 the finest players that we've ever had will go through the system where, you know, fellas used to go over and stay in digs. It's like, again, it's, it's alien to people now, the, the concept of it. I mean, how did you, is, is, I assume that you were placed with a local family, right? That's the usual, that was the one. Uh, yeah, the, 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 it was right, there were probably 50, 60 yards from the old Anfield gates, Anfield Road end gates. So I just had to drop our bed and just walk into, to, to, Anfield every morning, but it's not with your family. They they, they were good. I moved out after a while from there. Went into digs with Kevin Sheedy, an ex-Irish international as well, who went on to play for Everton. But um, yeah, it was. It doesn't. They could be the greatest family in the world, and they were the two people, the two families. I were were magnificent. But it's still not your own family. Still not your own, your own, your own crew. I know what you mean. And like the, 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 you, you say you get, you get the head down, you start to make a breakthrough. And of course, the first team uh, debut happens. There's another gap again after that. But uh, what was that like on, in, in, in April '81? Um, uh, where, you, where you score in the, in the, in a Trina win over Stoke at Anfield? That, that's, that's, that must be a kind of a right. I'm, I'm, I'm on, the, I'm on the mark. I'm on the road here. Kind of well, moment. The, the, you know, if you're playing the game the next week, you would have thought so. But you know, there was Ray Kennedy was injured, and I was asked to do that job on the left side of midfield. I I, I just mentioned Sheeds there, Kevin Sheedy. It always looked like Sheeds was going to be the lad that went into left side midfield at Liverpool. But Bob Paisley saw something different than me that he wanted me to play there. Um, and against Stoke that night, I sitting in the dressing room beforehand. You know, you don't know what to do. You you you're looking around at people in the dressing room. You know, all the all these great players, Hanson and Doug Leash and all, uh, Terry Max, you know, all, you'd think, oh, what am I doing? I'm 19 years of age. I shouldn't be here. But they were good people. They were good lads. They looked after you. They, they, they did their best to look after you. And then when you score, once you score, score on your debut and then, you know, you feel that's it. I was getting extremely tired near the end, last 15 minutes, but Bob left me, left me finish the 90 minutes. And then there was, um, I think when I scored, um, I was a little bit, more known in Ireland after that after that goal. And as you say, you're 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 in it you're in and out because obviously that that was Ray Kennedy's position and and he had, he had played there with such distinction for such a long time. I guess it was uh, it, it probably didn't look like it was going to be easy to break into the team at all. But you know that's that's the moment that I I, I often focus on with people as well as that first time where you're sitting in that and you've described it beautifully there. You're looking around around at the likes of Dalglish. You're probably not even actually on the radar at that stage. It's probably only a couple of uh, after you've made a couple of appearances. You start getting abuse off the lads and yeah. you, you know you realize you're you, that's actually a sign of acceptance whereas i guess other fellows maybe take it badly did did, did did that kind of dressing room atmosphere did you did you take to that i suppose you've been in all your life again yeah i'll go back to when going to watch my dad i knew what went on in the dressing room area and how people shouting cross at each other and taking the mickey out of each other um but it still doesn't um <laughs> Me and Russia were two young lads coming into the team together and we took some ferocious stick, but you, 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 okay, I can talk about it now, but you had to sort of work out who the, they, they talk to you more than other kids, if you understand what I'm saying. They yeah, give a new yeah. stick more than that lad over there. Yeah. So you, you start to get closer to them, become involved because they'll take the mickey out of your accent the next morning or they'll do something else. And uh, me and Russia were the brunt of it for, for a while. But I think they, I think that's because they know you can play. They know you're going to be part of this for a while. Um, so you're part of the family now. So you're going to get as much stick as anybody else is going to get. It was all a, a grown up curve. Yeah. It's, 
it's a peculiar thing, isn't it? Because some of the people I've spoken to, you know, they're quite spoken men, you know, at this stage of their lives and they probably always were, but it is a sink or swim kind of environment. You have to give a bit back if you're going to get... So I think you know, that's what Liverpool were all about. Sorry to cut across there. That's no, no, what no. happened at Liverpool at that, at that time. You sank or you swam because a lot of people just couldn't handle... They, they took it as a way also, I think, staff and players to see if you could handle the pressure you're going to be given. You're going to be playing in front of 60, 70, 100,000 at Wembley and you're going to get 50,000 of them giving you stick. Or if you're not playing well, you're going to get 75,000 giving you stick. And you have to be able to, to accept that. I remember Gary Ablett talking to me once on reading in his book, God rest Gary Ablett, great lad. Um, but he went through an awful lot with Ronnie Moran. God rest Ronnie Moran as well, actually. But in the end, he went to Roy Evans and he said, Evo, he will not leave me alone. Every time I come training, he's just giving me stick. He's giving me stick. He said, listen, son, he said, you've got something. We need to find out now whether you can um, take the pressure of being a professional footballer. And it, it's it's and it's completely different now. And they might say it was terrible when it was done back then. It was a bit like um, bullying at times. But it made men of, of lads fairly quickly and got them to, to have great careers as footballers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you, you, as you say, different times, it's, 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 it's the way that I would have grown up myself. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes you, you hear people talking now and they seem quite delicate in the way that they approach things, but, uh, it didn't seem to do too much harm to too many of you guys. I, I, you speak about there how you develop your mentality and that part of it. But, you know, an awful lot of fellas as well at that age, they have uh, issues because they're quite scrawny and, and, and not, not, not a, Maybe as, as, as physically developed as they should be. I mean, I know there was, there's a story I'll never forget about Brian Robson, um, who was, you know, a bit on the, on the frail side and he was told to basically build himself up with steak and Guinness. I mean, you know, it's, it was a different world in terms of nutrition and stuff like that back then. But were you always lucky enough that you didn't have to worry about that side of things? Were you always physically able to look after yourself in that regard? Or was there a lot of training for you in that respect as well? We, we never did weights. We never went into the gym unless we was pre season we did a couple of weights pre-season but throughout the season I don't think I'd, I'd ever see a gym unless it was snowed or we couldn't train for some reason um, but no never seen a gym never seen weights didn't like doing weights because I felt they made my muscles tired my legs tired um, but again all the programs will be geared around weights food today ours wasn't I was getting out on the pitch and doing your hour and a half training on the pitch because they would say, well, you don't do weights on a Saturday, you play football. So that was, that was the way we did it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, your breakthrough season, right? It's not like, it's not like you, you started in dribs and drabs. You're straight in in 81, 82, 47 appearances and not just that 14 goals. I mean, this is a hell of a way to announce yourself. You, you've gone from like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just on the peripheries. I'm not getting a sniff to wow. First team regular, uh, an incredible season. I mean, you know, you know, you end up with a, where, you know, you basically take over from Ray Kendi. You, you win the league, you win a league cup and that's, uh, pause for a moment and, and, and remember the very specific contribution of yourself in that match with two goals. I mean, this is, this is the, the, the time where all the hard work seems to have paid off and you, it, it, there must be great celebrations back home. There must be, there must be a, a real delight on your part that, you know, you've, this is it. This is what it's all about. It would have been lovely to be able to do that, Trevor. I, I think it, would, it just became sort of, it's your job. And now you've, you've been promoted in your job. Now this is your job. You have to do this on the pitch every Saturday. Um, and uh, 
it was great because it was like two young kids, myself and Rushy, just like kids in a sweet shop. We're, we're playing games every Saturday. We're getting picked. Both of us are scoring goals. Um, we're having great fun. We're training every day with Sooners, Doug Leash, Hanson, Phil Neal, Phil Thompson. And we're just enjoying life. We'll go and have a few pints and a laugh and then we'll, we'll get up and we'll go training again and we'll play a game on a Saturday. So it was all, it was all good natured, uh, good fun, but then there was obviously serious sides, you know, when you did have to go and play a game, but it was, it seemed it was just a lot of fun. And when things are like that and you're happy and things come naturally to you, like scoring goals did that season. For me, as you say, I got 14 from the left side of midfield. Um, but it, 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 that was the fourth season. Things get okay. We win, we, we win things, but personally, things get more difficult after that fourth season when it starts to become a little bit more. Um, they're looking to you more to do things now rather than nobody knows who you are. So, but now you you have to get a little bit more tuned in grow up a little bit more and um, responsibility was a lot more and it became a little bit harder after that. Yeah. So, so what I'm getting from you is, you know, the, the, okay, you're, you, 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 uh, on a day-to-day basis, you can enjoy training, you can enjoy the games themselves, you know, when you're playing, but it was very much a serious job is, is how you were made to feel. And do you think that's part of the success of, of the, of, of the, yeah. the culture of the club? Is that, the, is yeah. that part of it? We're, we're, we're in training, if, if you're not doing it, Doug Leach and Sooness are going to tell you, because they, they trained every day as if it was a game. You learn off these people. Um, few, some people don't train as well. You go when Rushy was a, a bit older, still scoring 30 goals a season or whatever he was, but he didn't train as hard as he as he did. It's like, well, I scored a goal on a Saturday, you know, but he, he did train and he, and he trained well most of the time, but not all the time, like Sooness and Doug Leach were just these characters that wanted to win in training every day. Yes, they'd have a laugh, but when it got serious, it got serious in training. Um, tackles would fly in, but it was it was a good learning curve to be learning off these people. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> I imagine so. And as soon as as soon as didn't pull out tackles in training, he never yeah. pulled out a tackle in a game. You know, you'd 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 be wary of him in training all the time because he just wanted to win the ball, get it, and his team win the game. How does that work, though, uh, Ronnie, in, in a training scenario? I often wondered about that because I've, I've heard this story many times, mostly about Graham, but also about other people as well. Like, you know, how, 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 how is that taken by the likes of people who are running the training? Are they not looking at you going, will you, you know, relax? They, they do sometimes. Sometimes they, they get you to a level. If there's a big game coming up on a Saturday or something and you're training on a Wednesday or a Thursday and it's getting a little bit, a little bit hectic and there's a few tackles flying in and people are snarling at each other um, and they think, okay, stop. That's it. We've got you to a level where we want you now. So, right, let's go. We'll do some little bit of running now and a few jogs and a few stretches and then everything would calm down and they think, right, that's it. They're ready to go. We've got them ready for Saturday now. So let's let them go. Send them home. They've done the training. They've put their foot in. They're ready. They're ready to go. And yeah. they were good at spotting that, the staff, Ronnie and Ronnie Moran and, and Joe Fagan and Evo and Bob Paisley. They were good at spotting when to get people just to a, just to an edge where they have to say, right, stop, that's it, leave it now. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the pressure ratchets up a little bit as you go into your second campaign. You're obviously very much a first team ever present kind of thing now. When, but that, uh, was the, that was the thing, Trev. I, I was ever present, uh, well, <laughs> more or less. 
but I was I was taking an awful lot of abuse from parts of the, the crowd, especially yeah. the new Kenny Dog Leash stand. Um, there was a group in there who uh, I just couldn't do anything right. But the way I got myself through it all was by telling myself, well, I'm doing something right because the manager keeps picking me on a Saturday. And just sometimes, even back then, I was thinking, please don't pick me today because I do not want to put up with this stick I'm going to get, you know, for 45 minutes that you're on that side. And it, it, that was, it becomes difficult then, you know, when you don't really want to go out and face what you're, you're getting stick from a lot of people. You're not playing or uh, your confidence goes then. So what you were doing naturally a year ago when you were having great fun and you were scoring goals isn't doesn't seem as natural anymore. And every time you you need an extra touch, you need something, and you give it away when you shouldn't be. And that was that was although we won the league in the league cup again, and I scored the winner against Man United. It, it it wasn't my greatest season ever, but and I was and I was taking a, a fair bit of variable abuse from the crowd at the time. So that obviously colours the way you remember it, and obviously drains a bit of the joy out of it as it's happening as well. You know, it's a, it's well, it's. Did they call out the numbers on a Saturday? Number one, Bruce Grobble, a big cheer all round the ground. Number two, Phil Neal, big cheer all around. Number five, Ronnie Whelan, ugh, all around Jeez, the ground. That's think, yeah, yeah. But then you'd look around and, and Terry Mack and Sue would be laughing at you, and Rushy would be laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> they they just thought it was funny. But it doesn't help. I mean, actually, I mean, in the end, I started just laughing myself. Yeah. You know, just there, there was nothing else I could do. They just decided that I was the one that was going to get the stick. There's always one, isn't there? I think yeah. wherever you are, there's always one in any team mm. that will take the flack. I think it, I, I think it's a bit different now because everybody seems to get a clap wherever they go or wherever they do. Even if they give it away, they get a clap. But um, but back there's... then you didn't. There's probably a couple of lads in recent years who wouldn't be on the level you are as a player, but it's a couple of lads. I'm thinking particularly of the current club captain, and I'm thinking of before him, Lucas Leva, who used to get down the banks from a section of the crowd all the time. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it must be quite wearing, you know, but like, as you say, what can you do except to eventually just shake your head and get on with it? And it's not as if you yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you're going to get at some stage in your career, no matter who you are, even Doug Leeson soon has got stick now and again when they didn't play great, but. Yeah. Um, I was getting a lot that year. It eased off a bit the next year. I, actually, when I'm saying it eased off, I was injured a lot of the next season. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably why it eased off. I never thought about that till now. Yeah, but, you, but what you, you've—it just shows that from you've, your man has achieved so much that you basically brushed past another league win, which is the thing that the entire <laughs> the entire club for thirty years would give their eye for now. Another league win. Uh, your, your first I, I actually go back to the, the first one, Trevor. It was honestly, and and yet you probably read about it, you probably heard about it. It was Bob Paisley coming in after the game when we beat Tottenham three-one at Anfield to win the league, and he had a little box shoe box. And he had little red boxes in there, small metal boxes. And he went around and shook hands with each and every player in the room and went, well played, um, see you on the 5th of August or whatever. That was it. That was that was your presentation for winning the league that year. And that, what was I, 1920? And that was what what it was. You won it, well done, see you next season, do the same again and we'll be all right with you. 
and and thankfully you did and like i say and it's, it is amazing for us and it's amazing for listeners you know who are long probably lifelong liverpool fans have never seen uh, never seen a victory a, a league victory it's an awful lot of people will be listening to this you know i'm, I'm looking enough i'm a bit older in the two i've seen you know a lot of wins and a lot of great times but i mean it's 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 such a stunning way to just brush it off but you, as you say part of the culture and again you kind of brush past another wonderful thing <laughs> your, your 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 cracker against man united in the in extra time to to win two Two one in the league cup final for the second year in a row. I don't always brush that one off, Trev. <laughs> <laughs> I was that, hoping you'd come back to it. I, I was going to say, is there is there a better version of that you'd like to? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I mean, what what, what do, do you have specific memories of that day, or is it, or is it something that's a bl- bit of a blur as well? I mean, do you like have you a good memory for your individual uh, efforts, like goals, like that? I know certain lads remember. Every aspect. Oh, speaking to Beardsley, it's frightening. He remembers every part of every game. I mean, do you remember actually the scoring of that goal, or is it more the memory of it, like the general? I've that? seen I've seen it so many times, Trevor, yeah. either whether it's on Liverpool TV or whatever. Once League Cup finals come about, it's usually it's usually on the television. Um, I, I I well, I say I remember what how it went in front of me because it was just trying to get it through Frank Stapleton's legs for Alan Kennedy to run onto. And it just come back off his legs and it come just at the right weight back to me. And then I, I spotted Gary Bailey near post. I don't know what he was doing on his near post. But then um, I spotted a big gap in that far corner. And it is a case of it, it unfolds quickly. But, you know, you've got to now, you know what you need to do. You know you need to bend it in that far corner. And um, it, it's up. It's all up to you then whether you've got the skill to do it. Unfortunately, it went, it went where I aimed it, which was good. And, and and the fact that it's a Manchester United opposition goal yeah, did, as well. That did um that did come into my mind really. That that did that is my boyhood team who didn't really want me when I was seventeen, eighteen years of age. They yeah, fifteen, not yeah. eighteen. So serves you right. See what you missed. I was also going to say to you in terms of uh, in terms of the the your your buddies up in certain sections of the stand. I imagine that probably helped quite a bit as well. <laughs> you know, and, you know, honestly, Trevor, I don't think anything would have helped. I swear this is true there was an occasion when they were shouting at me and they were, sh- they were screaming get in the game wheeling and we hadn't kicked off uh, and I just couldn't <laughs> I couldn't get this one and I told Terry McDermott and Graham Stewart couldn't stop laughing in the middle of the pitch <laughs> I just went I don't know what I can do here no, no, nothing more I can do yeah I, it's it's that's sort of this comical at that stage I, you know it must, it must have been tough at the start but god I mean like it, it, you say your next campaign which is obviously one of the more most memorable in, in, in Liverpool's history it's a, it's a treble another league cup another league title and a, and a European cup um, you, you, you mentioned that the uh, injury was sort of kept you out of some of it, but there's still like you've more you've thirty something odd appearances over the course. Yeah, of the yeah, I, I did get plenty of appearances. I, I had a pelvic, my pelvic, my pelvis was tilted, and in um, Russia done his groin. Both of us went to get X-rays together, and as you do as a footballer, you, you take the before you go to see the doctor, you take the, um, the the picture out of the X-ray and you have a look yourself as you're walking down the corridor. And I just said to Russia, I said, God, that doesn't look very good. You. you funny day your groins there and over there and so when we got in to see the doctor I had Rushy's x-ray and he had my x-ray and my pelvis was tilted to nearly to the side and uh, there was nothing you could do it was, it was rest that was at the end of the, the season uh, the Man United goal the um, 83 and then going into 83-84 I went back pre-season and it wasn't right 
and then I eventually got a, um, an operation which somehow cleared it up. Don't know, they stick tendons in my groins or something, but it cleared it up in the end. And then I was it was getting trying to get fit again and then get back in the team. And then once I got back in, I just read Joe Fagan's book and he was saying he was having a bit of trouble with Craig Johnson on the left side of midfield, didn't hold a position when I needed him to. And then when I come back from the injury, I was I was back in again on the left side of midfield. Yeah, of, of course, and 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 people could you know if 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 needed reminding could see the value of of, of you coming back. I mean, yeah, not so you know what the people have said that to me so many times. Oh, you only missed Ronnie Whelan when he wasn't playing. You know, once you're on the pitch, they give you a stick, and then you're not playing. And you become a great player for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it is. It's one of those things, Ronnie. It's, it's it's a theme I'm going to come back to with you later on in terms of appreciation levels or whatever. I mean, I I, I personally I, I I don't get my I can't understand it myself because you know amongst me and my family and friends and people you know I would have known you know you were up on a pedestal, but it is interesting to hear. I, I was I have to say I was genuinely shocked to hear uh, hear you say that about the crowd. Uh, I was genuinely shocked to hear um, some of the stories that you've told over the years about you know. Uh, maybe feeling as if you, you you weren't quite as respected as you should have been. It's it's a remarkable thing. It makes very little sense to me. I, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a thirty goal a season man like Rushy. I couldn't go past people like Barnes. You know, I didn't have the range of passing Jan Mulby would and all the flair of Sunus and Douglas. But um, I, I was doing something right, and that's how I always felt. I was doing something right because I played most of the time, nearly all the time, when the manager wanted me to. Especially when you consider the managers in question, people who knew what they were doing, and uh, and in successive regimes as well. And that 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 European Cup experience for you, like, what was that like? I mean, it was you know, what sort of level of involvement did you feel in all that sort of off the tournament? And then, um, you know, it, you know, for, for me, looking on as as a nipper, I'm just like I'm beside myself with excitement. You know, I'm I'm yeah, eighty four. Yeah, that that had took one, two, three years in the making, which people never really realised what was going on because the 79 European Cup, 81 European Cup winning teams were starting to break up in 81, 82. You know, all the players, Ray Clements was going, um, Jimmy Case, Ray Kennedy, um, Davy Johnson, there was a lot of them leaving the club. Half the team was changing to me, uh, Rushy, Bruce Grobelar, Craig Johnson, Loro. Um, so there was a big change over the years from 80, 80, 81, when they'd won it in 81, to the next three years. And I think it, it took the young lads like myself and Rushi two years to find out how to play in Europe. Mm-hmm. We got beaten in the quarterfinal the two previous years by, I don't know, Polish team. And I can't even remember who beat us. But it was the making of that going up to 84 how we'd learned over two years to play in Europe, um, to do things the right way, to quieten the crowd, to not go running out positions, which we probably did for two years as kids. But we finally learned how to do it in 84. And I, I believe we learned very, very well because we won it in Rome against Roma on their pitch, which was there was there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Roma were going to win the game. Um but we we um we always felt wherever we played that team in the 80s, 84 that we could we could go anywhere and win. 
I always t- tell my, my, my younger chums that that to me has always been a, a, a more impressive thing, even in Istanbul, because of what you've just said there, you know. Um, and of course, you're, you're, you're a mucker, Rushi, getting, uh, getting involved in the, on the score sheet and stuff like that. It's, 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 it, it was just, it was such a. I think a, it was the fact Trevor that it went to penalties. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first European Cup final won on penalties. So yeah. people go, ah, oh, they won on penalties. But yeah. they forget the 90 minutes before the 90, 100, whatever it is, that we um, that we had to play against this Roma side who had two World Cup winners in the team, two great Brazilians in the team. So um, it, it took a lot of doing, but I don't I don't think that team ever got the credit for what they did that year. I ask everybody because um, it's 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 my own hobby horse, uh, my own personal uh, sort of hero because of the years I grew up and started supporting the club, like in the late seventies. Obviously, Kenny Dalglish is the man that um, you know I I look to, and then again, you know, you we, we'll be coming back to him in terms of managerial um, influence later on. But in those earlier years, when you were breaking into the team first, when he was probably obviously a little bit older, but still very much. Very much uh, amongst his best years, he was still winning awards in '82 and '83. Was that, you know, you said you're looking around at these great players. Was 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 the class of say himself and Sunez really really evident in in on a day to day basis? I mean, how do you rate those guys? You've seen a lot of fantastic players playing World Cups, European Championships. You, you've played with a lot of fantastic players. How do those guys rate? Are, are they as good as everybody says? Yeah, the, the better than what people have seen or they can even think of. Um, I say that because I trained with them every day and seen what they did every day and I seen what they did every Saturday or every Wednesday or in European Cup finals. Doug Leash, uh, the, we know the way he's held in, uh, in, in Liverpool, King Kenny, everybody loves him. But I thought Suey had a huge influence on the team of the early 80s. You know, we, he, he, he then went to Sampdoria, was it, in 84 after we won the European yeah. Cup? Yeah. Well, I always, I always say the influence was that the next season, we were second in the league. We got beaten in the semi-final of the FA Cup, and we lost in Heysel in the European Cup final against Juventus. If Sui had been still there, we probably would have won the three again. Yeah. That was that was how big a, a presence he was in that team, um, and it was a, it was a big, it was a huge one to to lose from the football club at that time. But yeah, like all players. Whether it be, I don't know, Kevin Keegan or Kenny Dalglish, you, you find a way. Liverpool find a way. They'll find somehow to, to do it. Um, but it was a, Suey was the, the biggest loss, I think, that Liverpool, I mean, if you go over the years, you know, the, you lose Kevin, uh, Kevin Keegan, you get Kenny Dalglish. Very, very difficult for anybody ever to replace Graham Souness. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? We, 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 we speak on, on regularly on podcasts here about how football is covering. It's an extra kind of a, a level of, of enjoyment to have yourself on as someone who speaks so well about the game and you're so involved in that side of things as well. It is remarkable as to how many of you guys, ex-Reds, uh, successful Reds, are involved in the punditry aspect of things. It's it's no coincidence. It's not just because of the trophies you won. It's because, you know, of, of understanding the culture of the game, being able to speak about it and, and sort of explain it to other people, I guess. It's probably only because we couldn't be managers. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Just put him, just put him on the telly. He'd be all right. Yeah. I think he's a hell of a lot more to do than that, Ronnie. To be honest, but 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 yeah. Look, let's. I want to. I want to bring this sort of first part to an end because we're coming up to another massive sort of a campaign, and you have really helpfully there talked about eighty four, eighty five, and of course we're in on other shows with different people who've spoken about Heisel. It's it's a it's a a two hour conversation in itself. So I mean, we 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 can we can we we should we should probably just like treat that with the respect it deserves and talk
talk about it at length with, uh, on some other occasion. Let's finish this uh, initial part of the chat with that 85-86 campaign. This is a big one for you in terms of um, your centrality to it. You know, 57 appearances and another 14 goals. This is you really, you're flying here. I mean, and it's Kenny's first, uh, it's player manager, it's all that Roy of the Rovers stuff. It's a great team. You know, Rushy's flying. Um, it's just such a fantastic side. Really exciting time to be a, a young Red supporter um, for myself. Um, talk to me about that campaign and do you remember as fondly as I do, for example? Um, no, I don't actually, to tell you the truth. Really? I, there was other campaigns that we were a much better team. Um, I think we had a lot of players in that squad, and I, I include myself in this and a, and a lot of others, that we weren't playing the best football of our lives. We struggled for lots long periods of that season to just get anything going. Um, it was always that we're trying to catch somebody up, or and then we'd go and we'd get close, and then we'd lose the game, and we'd, we'd things weren't going really the way we wanted, and it was on the back of the the, the year before Heysel and all that. But um, there was a lot of times, and you even hear Alan Hansen. There was a documentary on Liverpool TV about it, and Jockey was Alan Hansen was captain, and he was out with Kenny, and he said to Kenny, he said, "This this team's going nowhere." You know, this team can't win anything. This is probably one of the the weakest Liverpool teams he's played in. Yeah. So it, it all ended up great, but there was a lot of um, a lot of stick, a lot of bad press for for the team itself throughout the season. But we we somehow, and I think great teams do it, they find a way, and we found a way somehow that season. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that it was a double, I mean, it's the only the third one in the 20th yeah. century. That's a big deal. And I guess what, what fans remember, it's different for you guys, and it's really interesting to hear your take on it, because it's different for you. You're there on the, on the nuts and bolts and sort of struggling through the day-to-day and, and feeling what you felt. I guess as well, Ronnie, it's about standards, and you guys had set such high standards and had a feeling of being imperious in different seasons. And if it's not clicking like that, I guess you're you're judging yourself harsher maybe than 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 other guys would have. But it's the the drama of the the last day yeah. win, win of the league and the the, the 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 Merseyside Cup final. And I mean, they're the big that, that coloured the whole season, Trevor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. What I, I, and it's like you see sometimes. I, mainly, I see Mourinho. And you think he's that's terrible football he's playing. They can't do this. They can't do that. And he gets two two trophies at the end of a season. Everybody goes whoa, and they forget all about what happened throughout the season. Yeah, <laughs> that is what happened this season. Yeah, we went on to win the double. But if if you went back over every game, you'd go, oh, that wasn't very good. That wasn't very good. He wasn't very good. He wasn't very good. But it was it was one of them that, and that happens in football all the time. You could play the worst football all season, win an FA Cup and the league, and everybody goes, whoa, what a team this is. But it, it wasn't the case of that throughout the season. It was it was hard work that season. Hard work, but another uh, another couple of, of of medals in the in the growing yeah, yeah. wheeling collection. I mean, yeah. uh, it's 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 uh, it's 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 quite quite the quite the collection that's building at that stage. Do you at that stage even Ronnie? Like you know, you talked before about how you know it was very much turned into right uh, routine. Gotta just gotta move on to the next one. Do you, do you, do you ever get a chance even at this stage to just sort of smell the roses and go here? I'm doing all right here. 
<laughs> That's what I usually say when I'm playing bad golf. Just on the road. <laughs> so I um, I don't know. There's sometimes when you think. I actually there are times when I sit there and I'm looking at a game that's come up on some television program and it's Liverpool probably winning that game at, at, at Wembley and and you do think, well, just you know, a kid from Finglas in in Dublin and Ireland is there on the pitch playing at Wembley. So sometimes you look at it back like that and go, yeah, it's 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 been it's been good. Yeah, you should probably cut <laughs> yourself a break every so often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and on that on that particularly humble note, I think we'll finish part one of the interview with Ronnie Wheeler. Keep your eyes peeled for part two over the coming days. Podcast Network.